Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. After all these years, by Layla Harrison on Gossamer. Rating Explicit. Chapter 8. Scully. I saw Mulder reach for Sam the first time I miss. I was frozen in place, unable to move or speak. My hands were over my mouth, still in horror at what was happening. Joe appeared at my side, breathing heavily, looking down into the water at what was going on. In desperation, I looked around for something that Mulder could use to hook onto Sam's coat with. I turned my head around, looking for a branch or a rope. Nothing. As I looked back into the water, the rock that Sam had hit as she fell passed through my peripheral vision just below me. It was red with blood. Her blood. My precious daughter. Oh, God. Tears were streaming down my face. My breath was coming out in short, white puffs in the cold. Joe was standing there, not moving, not speaking. My daughter, I prayed. God, please don't take my daughter. Please, not her. I would do anything. Take me, not her. Please. Damn it, Dana. What the hell's the matter with you? How could you bring her here? What the hell were you thinking? Joe was yelling at me. It was making me cry harder. I was crying so hard that I felt pain in my throat and my eyes stung from the tears. Shut up, I screamed at him. Just shut up. Ignoring him further, I climbed down the rocks carefully to get closer to Mulder. I could see him struggling in the icy water. I could see my daughter face down. Oh God, Mulder, I prayed, please. He reached for her again and caught her jacket in his hand, pulling her close to him. He turned her over in the water onto her back, checking her pulse, checking her breathing. Mulder fumbled in his coat pocket and brought out his cell phone, throwing it at me. I caught it. Call an ambulance, he yelled. Is she all right, I asked. Mulder, shouldn't you get her out of the water? Scully, call the fucking paramedics, he yelled back. I dialed with trembling fingers. As I was hanging up, Mulder began to tow Sam back towards the rocks, back to shore. Back to safety, I prayed. He pushed her towards me. She's unconscious, he told me. He was shaking with chills from the cold water. We've got to get her out of the water. We've got to keep her warm until the paramedics get here. I pulled her out of the water. She was much heavier because of the water weighing down her coat. Together, Mulder and I pulled her up the rocks. Joe reached down to help us get her up onto the frozen grass. I stripped off my coat, ignoring the cold morning air, wrapped it around her small body. Her eyes were closed. The scarf was still wrapped around her neck, twisted tightly there. I was afraid it was cutting off her supply of oxygen, so I pulled it off her. Careful of her head, Joe cautioned. She's still got a pulse, and it's really fast, Mulder told both of us. Her breathing is shallow. I checked it, trying to remain as professional as possible. I'm a physician, I reminded myself. But my hands were shaking, and whether it was from the cold or from the fear, I wasn't sure. Likely both. I leaned my head down and listened. I could hear short, long breaths, and I could see her chest slowly rising and falling. But it was not enough. She spit out a lot of water when I turned her over, Mulder said. I don't think there's any of it left in her lungs. I lifted my head and pinched Sam's nose and prepared to breathe into her mouth. What are you doing, Joe asked. She's already breathing. But she's breathing too shallow, Joe. She needs more oxygen quickly. I could see that her skin was white and her lips tinged blue. I quickly checked her nail beds. They were still okay. 
but she needed more oxygen as quickly as I could get it into her. I breathed five deep breaths into her lungs. Her chest rose high during each one. When I stopped, Mulder checked her pulse again. It's better. I scanned the park. Where were the fucking paramedics? I carefully began to lift Sam's head to check the wound. I realized that she hit her head on the corner. The blood was still flowing from the side of her head. Don't you think you should wait until the paramedics get here? Joe asked. She's a doctor, Mulder snapped back at him. She knows what she's doing. But the paramedics are trained. Their medical knowledge is up to date. All Dana's been doing for the last three years has been working on dead bodies at the medical examiner's office for the county. I know what I'm doing. I practically growled at him, looking up. Mulder was obviously freezing. He was kneeling beside me and Sam, still in his wet clothing, shivering. His teeth were clattering loudly. Give me your coat, Joe, I demanded. He took it off without further argument and handed it to me. I placed a bulk of it against Sam's head, trying to slow the flow of blood. Why isn't she waking up, Joe asked, echoing all of our concerns. I don't know, I answered, my voice breaking. I don't know. I could hear the sirens now. I looked up and saw the ambulance driving across the grass towards us. As soon as they got close enough, they stopped the ambulance and two paramedics jumped out. My daughter, she's four years old. She hit her head on the rocks, I told them. That's right, Dana. Keep it professional. Stay calm. Don't go to pieces. Her pulse is 80, and we gave her artificial respiration, and her breathing has improved. A quick glance at Sam told me that the air I had given her had helped. Her skin color had improved. She has a blunt injury to her head. We were trying to keep the blood flow down. Was she in the water? One of the paramedics asked me. I nodded. That's good. The coldness of the water probably helped to slow the blood flow as well. The other paramedic was radioing back to the hospital, advising them of the situation. I heard the crackling response. Cochrane, too, please be advised that you can bring the patient right up to the PICU. We'll have a bed waiting. Repeat, you can bypass the ER and bring the patient right up to the PICU. CAT scan techs will be waiting for you there. Copy that. ETA 10 minutes. He turned to his partner. We need to get an IV in her and then get her right in there. Already getting it up, the paramedic beside me told him. I pointed out the upper side of Sam's right wrist. She's got a good vein there, I told him. Frightening that I knew the location of the good veins in my daughter's body in case anything had happened to her. The other paramedic offered Mulder a blanket, which he gratefully accepted, and wrapped around himself. The IV's in, the paramedic called. Let's get her in. He loaded her onto the gurney and prepped to put her in the ambulance. Which ones of you are her parents? You can ride with us. We are, Joe answered. And I glanced at Mulder. The hurt was evident in his eyes and all over his face. Why don't you ride with them and I'll ride with Mulder, I said to Joe. He looked surprised but agreed. We'll follow you over there, Mulder added. In case you can't keep up with us, we're going to Stanford Hospital, the paramedic told us. I nodded. I knew how to get there. Mulder and I headed for the car. When we got in the car, I went over to the passenger side. I'm freezing, I said quietly. Mulder came over to my side as I was opening the door. Scully, he said, taking my arm before I could get in the car. I turned and practically fell into his arms, as if it were the most natural thing in the world. I could feel his wet clothing under the blanket. I could hear his heartbeat and the rise and fall of his chest with each breath. I buried my face in his chest. Thank you, Mulder, I whispered. New tears in my eyes. 
Thank you for saving Sam. You didn't do so badly yourself, he answered back, tightening his arm around me, kissing the top of my head, his voice small and choked with emotion. I pulled out of his arms and looked up at him. Why did you want to ride with me? I wanted to thank you, and I wanted to do it without Joe watching and listening. He's not watching and listening now. I know. Why did you run, he asked. Mulder, I sighed. We have to talk about it later. We have to get to the hospital. He nodded, leaning his head down to kiss me. My heart rate quickened. Mulder, I whispered, stopping him, holding him at an arm's distance from me. What? You don't want me to? I couldn't lie. Of course I wanted him to, and he knew it. I'm scared, I answered. Nothing has changed. Everything's just more complicated now. Sam. He nodded. He pushed my arm away, kissing me gently, slowly, and it ended too quickly. It was the kind of kiss he used to give me that would literally take my breath away. There was warmth and sensitivity and love in that kiss. So much of it that it made me feel loved and cared for and overwhelmed all at once. We need to get to the hospital. Point me in the right direction and we'll be there in no time. Mulder. We got to the hospital after having spoken about five words in the car. It took about 15 minutes. I could still feel her lips on mine. I decided something as we pulled into the emergency area. No matter what happened, no matter what it took, Scully and I were going to be together again. In the last day and a half, I had realized that no matter how much she had hurt me, I was hurting more without her. I had spent five years in pain and solitude, and it wasn't worth it. I knew that I couldn't have gone on much longer like I was. We got out of the car and went in, being directed to the PICU. We walked in, and Joe was in the waiting area. Where's Sam, Scully asked immediately, going to him and leaving my side. Inside, they're doing a CAT scan on her to determine the damage done by the fall. His voice was cold. It was obvious from his tone and demeanor that he was blaming Scully for the accident. It infuriated me, but I said nothing. They're listing her in critical condition, he added, layering on the guilt thickly. Scully's face fell. It was obvious that she was allowing her grief to let Joe pull her emotions exactly where he wanted him. I'm sorry, she whispered, tears welling up in her eyes. Our daughter could die, he said angrily, emphasizing that our daughter for my benefit, I'm sure. And you're sorry, Dana? That's all you can say? It was an accident, I said to him coldly. It's not her fault. She took Sam out there. How do you figure that's not her fault? She's my daughter, Joe. Damn it. I raised her. I love her. You don't know anything about her. I know that she's my daughter that she was conceived out of love, the love Scully and I had. Scully's face grew more frightened. Mulder, this isn't the time. No, it may not be, but she's mine, Scully. She's ours. That fact doesn't change. The three of us quieted down and sat in the uncomfortable plastic chairs, far from each other. Scully spoke once. Why haven't they come out and told us anything? Her voice was small and frightened. They said they'd come out as soon as they had something to tell us, Joe answered. An hour passed. A doctor, dressed in scrubs and wearing a name tag that identified him as Dr. Young, emerged from the PICU. You're Samantha Harmon's parents, he asked, addressing all of us, unsure as to whether Joe or I was her father. We all three nodded, and the doctor took it all in stride and kept speaking. I'm Dr. Young, head of the PICU. We've got her stabilized, but she had a severe trauma to her head. She's in a deep coma. We're doing a CAT scan right now to confirm it, 
but my exam of her leads me to believe that there's a good amount of pressure on her brain. Scully's body weakened. Both Joe and I moved towards her quickly to support her. We both ended up on either side of her, holding one arm each. At this point, after the CAT scan comes back, we have a few options. We can attempt surgery to release some of the pressure. I've already called for a neurosurgeon to come and look at her. The surgery is very dangerous. The neurosurgeon believes that the outcome of the surgery would not be worth it. Worth what, Joe asked. Worth attempting to save her life. I don't believe that she would survive the surgery. In all likelihood, I don't know at this point how long she can hold on. I believe that there is a lot of blood in her brain, too much blood. That, combined with the intracranial pressure, which is rising, is slowly cutting off the supply of oxygen. I know she's young and healthy otherwise, but I don't think that anyone with this type of injury could survive. Technically, I believe that she has been mostly brain dead since the blow to her head. She's not in any pain that we can determine. An initial EEG showed no active brain waves. We are keeping her on life support in order to do another EEG in another 12 hours to be sure that there are no active brain waves. That's standard medical procedure. She's brain dead? Joe asked, disbelieving. Dr. Young nodded. Oh, God, Scully whispered, her eyes fluttering, and she struggled to stay on her feet. I put one supportive arm around her waist. Joe didn't even notice. His face was stricken with sadness. We're going to wait for the CAT scan results, like I said, but if they come back as I am anticipating them to, there's likely not a lot of time left. You can go in and see her if you'd like. Joe and I nodded. It was all Scully could do to stay standing. I'm very sorry. Dr. Young went back into the PICU. Tears were flowing down Scully's face as she cried silently. Do you want to go in, I asked her, and she nodded. My baby, she managed to get out. I was stabbed with excruciating pain. My daughter. Joe's words echoed in my head. You don't know her at all. And now, I thought, I never will. A flash of Sam's bedroom came into my head. Seeing her in the front hall of Scully's house. At the dinner table. Bounding from the car. These were the only memories I would ever have of her. Let's all go in, Joe said. His voice now softened. We should all be there. I tried to smile at him gratefully. Tears were clouding my vision. He was attempting to hold back his own tears. With Scully in the middle, the three of us entered the PICU and entered Sam's room. She had been changed into a hospital gown and was under a large heating blanket. There were tubes, wires, and machines everywhere. A tube was in her nose, and one was taped down around her lips that went down her throat. There were wires monitoring her heart rate and more wires monitoring her brainwaves. Multiple IVs were in her veins, and the tubing wound up to the bag of clear fluids that hung above her bed. The heart monitor was beeping. Her small chest rose and fell rhythmically from the air that was being mechanically forced into her lungs from the machines. Her head was bandaged, but I could still see wisps of her auburn hair. Her eyes were closed peacefully. As Scully took everything in, her knees buckled, and Joe and I both held her up. She was crying openly, as was Joe. I was struck with an icy sense of fear and panic. All I could recall in my mind was walking into the ICU and seeing Scully just like this. It was terrifying then, and it was even more so now, seeing Sam in the same state. It numbed my mind and body to the point where I couldn't feel myself holding Scully up. Tears began to flow down my cheeks for this child, this child who was mine, mine and Scully's, who was already as good as dead. They were tears for Sam, 
and they were tears that I had been unable to shed at Scully's bedside all those years ago. Mrs. Scully. When I finally found out what was going on and made it to Connecticut, I got a taxi to take me directly to the hospital. I made it up to the PICU and was ushered in. In Sam's small room, Dana, Fox, and Joe were all seated around her bed. Someone had put a blanket over Dana, and she was asleep. Joe nodded hello to me, and I nodded back. I saw my granddaughter on the bed and all the apparatuses she was attached to and swallowed hard. Fox looked up as I entered the room, and we locked eyes. We both knew what the other was thinking. It was just like seeing Dana on that bed all those years ago. Fox got up quietly from his chair and took me out into the hallway. They're going to do another EEG in a few hours, but she is brain dead. She's on life support. Oh, Fox, I said, sorrow filling my heart. She's so young. He nodded. His cheeks were still wet with tears, and his eyes were swollen from crying. Dana's not taking it very well. The doctor gave her a mild sedative to help her sleep for a while. He didn't think she should be sitting here for 12 hours watching all of this. I nodded. My poor daughter. To have gone through so much, and now this. I couldn't even begin to imagine how she was dealing with it. I'd like to stay, Fox, I told him, my throat tight. I've already got a chair waiting for you, he said, as if he had known I would want to be in the room. Thank you. If you like this story and would like to contribute, you can do so by going to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash audio fanfic pod. As a patron, you are granted early access to one new story of your choosing per month. Thank you for listening. And remember, the stories are out there. <laughs>